Hello, everybody. Today is Monday, May 8th, and you are listening to Branching Out. My name is David Lopez, and I'm joined today with our new Acorn reporter, Eamon Murphy. Eamon, thanks so much for joining me. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And um, the goal here is really to introduce you to our listeners and our readers, and they've been seeing your byline in the paper now for about a couple months now. Um, So talk to us a little bit about some of your experience um, and and what got you here. Okay, so I started in journalism pretty much exactly 10 years ago in New York. Um, I had uh, been in graduate school for English in the UK, and I got a master's degree and came back. I thought I was going to like go all the way and be an academic, but it wasn't really the right thing. So I came back to New York and... um, a guy who I'd worked with on the college newspaper kind of got me a job and he was a business reporter at the Huffington Post. So I joined AOL, which had just bought Huffington Post and uh, also became like a finance reporter, which wasn't something I really knew anything about. Um, Hadn't studied economics or, you know, followed business much, but it's what they were hiring for. So it's what I did for two years and a couple months. Um, and then it kind of became like what I, you know, knew about and had on my resume. So I kind of kept doing it. Um, and I wound up writing for a trade publication that covers private equity in New York for another several years. And, um, and I left, but kept freelancing for them for years after that. So, so yeah, I was for the most part writing about finance and business and kind of high level um, um, stuff like that. Not the kind of like, you know, street level local reporting that that we do here. And and, and so I kind of want to ask you, given that experience that you had and, and kind of um, where you came from, what does community journalism mean to you? And kind of being in this role, what how do you approach your job now um, covering hyper local news? So I've done like a, a little bit of it. In New York, like, um, so when Hurricane Sandy happened, you know, which was a huge story, major disaster, there was an email that went out to the whole company um, because they were still trying to integrate AOL and Huffington Post, uh, but they hadn't given up on that yet. So this email went out saying that there's this neighborhood in Brooklyn that is like really badly flooded. Apparently, does anyone want to go? It's like the middle of the night. So I... I took a car and I went out there. It was a part of Brooklyn I'd never been to um, called a, called Garrettson Beach. And, um, and I went out there and spent like the whole next day talking to people whose houses had been flooded. Like the whole first stories were wiped out. Some of the houses like weren't going to you know survive. Um, and that was something that I found a lot more rewarding to do. It was really hard, um, you know, because you're talking to people in extreme circumstances and, and there's a lot of, there's always pressure to get it right. But, you know, when it's these sorts of, um, you know, people's livelihoods kind of, and, and their whole, so people at sort of their worst moments, you really feel that, that pressure more intensely. So I'd done a bit of that, but, you know, for the most part, it was sitting in an office and calling people on the phone and, and dealing with PR reps. And to be honest, I don't really like doing that. You know, I've done a lot of it and it's, 
it's it's very managed. It's very um, it can be very artificial. It can border on like you're doing PR yourself sometimes. You feel like so I wanted to get a job that was more in line with the kind of story I was talking about. You know, in in Brooklyn after the storm. Um, not like every day is a is a storm or anything, but mm -hmm. but when you're doing this job, people for the most part want to talk to you. You know, they they know the paper, they like the paper, and they you know they're eager to sort of I don't know, be heard, I guess, or have input, and and that's nice versus like chasing after people and and having to you know set up appointments and you know go over quotes with them and and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so. Uh, your background, you spent a lot of time. Did you grow up on the East Coast? Yeah, I grew up in Pennsylvania. Okay. In, yeah, and, Allentown. And and can I ask, how did you find us out here? Like, how, how did you end up in acorn country? I The first time I went to California was, I was a freshman in college, and I went to Northern California with a group. I was in like a college, you know, group. And um, I kind of couldn't believe like this was an option in the United States, but you would live, you know, in like Pennsylvania or wherever. Okay. Not, I mean, I like Pennsylvania. I don't want to um, put Pennsylvania down. It's a great state. But so that was how I felt the first time I saw, you know, California. And then the next year I went to LA and I sort of liked it even more um, because it had, I don't know, I just liked the, the vibe of the city more than the San Francisco. San Francisco was almost too... This was a long time ago. This was like 15 years ago. Well, that, well, that take's going to get you a long way around here. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah okay, that's good. good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I always wanted to come back. I spent a summer in LA in 2006 uh, living in the Valley and like writing coverage for at a couple like production companies and screenplays stuff. And, and I always wanted to return. Um, I was here just before COVID doing a theater piece, which was a great time. So, you know, after the pandemic in, in New York, um, things felt a little exhausted and it felt like um, it felt worth trying something new. And um, my lease was up and I just decided to move out here and didn't have a, a job lined up or anything. I was still freelancing. Um, okay. So that was my... That was my work, and I, th I thought, you know, I'd see, I'd see what there was out here when I got here. Um, can you touch on a little bit? You said you were working on a theater piece yeah. prior to the – talk to a little bit more about that. So that's something I did in New York mm -hmm. a fair amount. Um, I did like – I acted in, in plays, um, like some, you know, downtown indie theater things, um, and I had a, I, have a fr I still have a friend who's a playwright out here. So I was out here doing a reading, like a staged reading of something she wrote. Um, and that was what I was studying too, kind of in grad school. I was doing, studying like Shakespeare and drama of the, of the period um, in English. So that was a big part of, of my life. Okay. Yeah. So the theater's a big part. And and uh, talk a little bit about your college experience. John uh, mentioned to me where you went to school. And, and I just, uh, very impressive. Where did <laughs> you study? Oh, I, mean, I went to Yale. Um, but uh, it, it was a, it's a great place and it was a great experience. Um, worked on the paper a bit, which was, which was fun. 
great English department. They really put you through um, the whole like tradition and have mm-hmm. you read, you know, read stuff you would never otherwise uh, be so exposed to. This is this is a rent. You said you worked on the student newspaper there. Um, yeah. I think we get a lot of student journalists who listen to this podcast and kind of um, follow along with what the Acorn's doing. And and so I want to ask you, kind of, what's something that you learned as a student journalist that you still apply at your job today, and and, and every other stop you were at, if there's anything. That's a good question. I think. I think um, the <laughs> the one thing I re- I remember. As maybe the biggest success, I, I wasn't like I wasn't one of those like dedicated student sure. reporters with like a beat, you know. Yeah. Like I would write, I, I was sort of late a late comer to it, and I did sort of occasional things. Um, but I covered uh, a stop. It was the world. It was like the the world beer pong tour or something. Okay, some ridiculous event sure. like that, you know, at a bar. Um, and I didn't really know what I was doing, but I found like a pair of guys, a team to kind of follow. Like I sort of, you know, introduced myself to them and, and got in with them and was able to follow their progress. And they made it to the finals where they lost, which is kind of the perfect outcome for a story like yeah. that, you know? Um, and it just sort of taught me like how if you show up in a place with no idea what to do, um, if you just sort of, if you stay open and pay attention to people and try as much as possible, um, to kind of, to be observant and like an enthusiastic observer, you know, yeah. you don't want to like make yourself part of the event, but you want to be like as active an observer as you can and sort of things worth reporting will kind of come to you, I guess. Yeah, and that that's a really good point. And I think I remember when I was a student journalist, uh, we'd go to those conventions where we'd have on the spot uh, tournaments where you, or, or writing competitions where you'd have to go out oh, wow. and cover these uh, events. You didn't know what it was going to be. Wow, that's and, cool. Um, the the best thing, kind of to that end, was just learning not to overplan because if you try yeah. and say, "Oh, this is what I want to do," or "This is the angle I want to cover." then you're shutting yourself off from what the real story might have been had you just gone in with an open mind. Yeah. And you're going to end up with like a mess of notes and whatever. And it's kind of better that all you have is that mess, not also like the ruins of your plan. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but what what sort of things would they have you So uh, what we had to do one year, uh, and, and this was the one year that I, that I really participated in it, we went down to Orange County and – they basically just said, go cover, find a story. Yeah. And they gave us no parameters, so we were allowed to do anything. Right. Um, the, the news team that I was working on, we went out and found um, a couple of people who were living on the streets, interviewed them, talked to them about their life experience and kind of what it was like living so close. We were by um, Cal State Fullerton, but living so close to a college town. And that was what we delivered and and the news story we turned in and we wound up winning that year's event um which was really validating but yeah that yeah. was that was the kind of stuff where they and I think it was probably the most valuable thing they gave students at the time was just 
there's no parameters. Go find a story. Yeah. And and because that way you have to figure out kind of how to think like a journalist and how to find what's interesting and what's what's a story to tell. You know. Yeah, so. and like especially with something like what you're talking about, kind of the goal I think is the goal is to have like a human interaction. Mm -hmm. You know, the goal isn't like to like get the story. I mean, of course you want to write the story, but like you can't go into it with the mindset of like getting the story yeah. versus like it for something like that. Yeah. Versus just trying to sort of have a connection with the person yeah. that, that will then be worth, you know, writing about. Yeah. No. And, and I think this is, a, I'm really glad we're having this conversation. because I think this is the perfect <laughs> stuff of just kind of peeling back the curtain of, of who you are and how you're approaching your job and, and what, people may uh, come to find when you go out to interview them. And, and, and this is, uh, yeah, this is what I'm really excited that we're able to do with this, with this podcast. And to that end, I kind of want to ask you, what are some of the stories you've covered since you've been here that have been kind of noteworthy to you that you've really enjoyed, enjoyed writing? Well, probably there was a, there was a meeting at the West Lake village city hall about the proposed redevelopment of the North business park area to, um, to turn it into a big apartment complex. Mm -hmm. And it was a very well attended meeting and the developer was there and it was just, it was a pretty, it felt like a very extraordinary event, even though it's ostensibly a very ordinary, you know, mm -hmm. event, but there was, um, there was so much intensity of, of feeling that people were expressing, um, there was the developer who was a very interesting figure presenting himself as sort of um as somebody who knows the area which that was that that sort of fell away kind of piece by piece as the under questioning and as the evening progressed and and then there is sort of a genuine uh conflict um at the heart of the story which is like you know there isn't housing for people like young people who want to live in a place like this, if they grew up here, even mm -hmm. they don't necessarily, they can't necessarily afford um, to live here. And, you know, and then there's the broader state question, which is obviously very controversial, the, the mandates about building housing capacity, which I'm not really qualified to, to weigh in on, but um, it was very intense yeah. all around. Yeah. And just to sort of experience that. And then to be like, well, can I, uh, am I able to do justice to the intensity of this, you know, mm -hmm. in an 800 word um, story? Well, and I will say, um, welcome to Acorn Country. The fact that that's the story <laughs> you pin on, that is not the last story like that you're going to, yeah. you're going to tell. And, 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 and it's, um, we're in a huge time of transition with, with all of that. And, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that was the feeling there. Was, it felt like people thought something was on the verge of being lost or, mm. or slipping away or being changed into something unrecognizable, you know, and that's a very intense, um, feeling. Yeah. And, and, and I'm glad, I'm glad to hear you say that. And I know a lot of our listeners are going to be glad to hear you say that because you're telling me you have a pulse of the community because that, <laughs> that is what I grew up. I've been here my whole life in, in Thousand Oaks. And, um, I think the biggest fear everybody has right now is that we're losing the tradition. Yeah. And that's another conversation for another day. But, yeah, but I, I think the fact that you were able to pinpoint that and see that just in one meeting is, is very telling to how big and great that fear really is right now. Yeah. And it's always like, you're sort of indicating that's always a complicated fear. Like, what does that mean? You know, who has been 
who has been in, who has been out all yeah. along. But of course, there's also real questions about what people's people's quality of life and you know yeah. and safety and, and things like that. Yeah. So um I, I wanted to say one story that you wrote that that I really enjoyed was your feature on Rob Paulson. Oh yeah. Um can I ask you how'd you find that story? How'd you get how was he just was it something that reached out to you or how how'd you find that story? Or was yeah, it your well, theater background that kind of led yourself? They so he's he works with the Head and Neck Cancer Alliance because okay. he's a he's a voice actor who yeah. had throat cancer but um, but beat it a couple of years ago, and so they were they were pitching him as a because gotcha. because April was the awareness month for that okay. disease, um, but when I when John Losing sent it to me, I was like I was very enthusiastic because I grew up loving Ninja Turtles. Sure. He was the voice of Raphael, who was my favorite Ninja okay. Turtle. And then also Pinky and the Brain and Animaniacs I watched like every day. And yeah. I, I had no idea those were the same actor. Um, yeah. And he was just a great guy to talk to. He was so positive, um, which, you know, you could see how that served him well in that ordeal. And it's something that he's still practicing now. Yeah. And I really liked the way you framed that story because. Uh, like you're talking about, I grew up watching all those shows. Yeah. I wouldn't have known they were all, like, I didn't pay attention to the credits at the end. No. I didn't know who was who or what. When you're a kid, those are real people. <laughs> those, yeah, exactly. You know, those aren't like actors. Exactly. So, it, Much it, less the same actor. Yeah. So it was, it was a really neat way to introduce me to somebody who I had enjoyed as a kid who had, who had a pretty remarkable story of what he's, what he's overcome. So yeah. And uh, he, he started doing the voices too. when I told him that I was a, a fan. So that, that's what I was going to ask. Is he still, yeah. he's still doing voice acting or yeah, he did. They rebooted Animaniacs for Hulu and he did that. I think it just, the last season of that just ran. Um, okay. So, but that was the cool thing. It's like, he's back in the saddle and he's, you know, none the worse for, for where. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, and then I also do want to touch, since you are our Acorn reporter, um, and we were talking about this before we started recording, you've officially become the third beat writer to cover the Rebecca Grossman case. Um, you went and sat in court, uh, was that two weeks ago now? Um, yes, that was exactly two weeks ago. And that was your... Was that your first introduction to this case? Uh, I'm sure you did background before you went in. But, yeah, but, I read about it. But, but sitting in that courtroom, was that your first time you'd really been put into that? Yeah, put into that that case and that mindset. There are big stories out here that you know you hear about. I heard. I remember hearing about. You know, like the fires or the borderline um, shooting. But I don't think I knew about this at all until John told me about it. Um, so I did, you know, I, I read some, some background stuff. Um, and then the first, that, that hearing, that was a pretty low key one because the family, you know, neither side was really there. There were some supporters, a handful of supporters on both sides of the courtroom, but, um, but the people. A handful of supporters for, for both, for, for the, for the victim's family and for, for the Grossman. Oh, Grossman had supporters as well. Yeah. Because they they sit on opposite sides, sure. of the, and then there's yeah. the, the middle ground where someone was helpful enough to tell me I should sit. Okay. Uh, I think I would have figured that out, but it was good to know. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. 
But um, really what it was or, or what, what you could see in that was the relationship between the two opposing lawyers, mm-hmm. um, which there's, you know, a fair amount of bitterness, maybe even, you know, some contempt for the lawyerly abilities, uh, you know, um, that was that really jumped out. Well, and and this is a case you're going to be following, obviously, very closely. And I just wanted to kind of get your initial thoughts on it. So, so um, yeah, thanks for sharing that with me. Anything else you've kind of come to enjoy about this area? Is there anything now that you're working for the Acorn that you see differently? I mean, I just driving around now, I think about how I didn't know anything about it two months ago. You know, when you don't, it's a situation where you don't know how much you don't know about something at first and you only gradually start to realize uh, how much, you know, how sort of ignorant you were. Um, I guess the thing that the relationship to to L.A. is something that is is interesting to me because that's sort of what brought me out here in the first place. And that's something that came up in the, the, um, in that, uh, the development meeting about Westlake village, the fear that, that, uh, the San Fernando Valley was coming. That's an interesting, um, I mean, that's something that a lot of people said. Um, and I guess, yeah, that's the, that's the difficulty about, cause I, I grew up in, in a suburb also. Mm-hmm. And there's always this tension of like, um, of we're here because of this other place, but we're also here, you know, because we don't want to be in, in that other place. We want to be in this particular place. And the, the, the sort of gravitational pull of that other place is something that, um, that people feel. And, and I think is, you know, is always like a, a conflict you'll you'll only see that more as you as you get into this and and write more stories and and meet more people so um i'd say get used to that feeling and you know and and just kind of embrace it as as you're going out there because it's very it's very real and it's something that the the community is um is is grappling with and adjusting with and and who's right is almost irrelevant it's just a matter of where do we end up as a community and I think talking about community too, it's like that's the the other thing is there's there's a, a real at all these events um, that I go to, there's such like intensity of feeling about about the places and the way people interact with the places. You know, um, like I went to the the Rancho Simi Parks and Recreation District meeting, just like the advisory board, not even the board of directors, and and I mean, people were so, uh, so pumped up about like the pickleball courts mm-hmm. and like also, you know, qu- every question had people like fishing in the, in the duck pond, like people are so, um, committed to really like using the space, you know, it's not just like, oh, we live here. Mm-hmm. It's like, um, it's, this is like active existence that people are very, very tied to, which is not, um, not sort of the way that I, uh, I guess, remember growing up. Interesting. Yeah. Well, Eamon, uh, I've got to say, I, I, it's been nice to get a chance to chat with you. Yeah, Admittedly, you um, 
You've been here for a couple months, but our paths haven't crossed in, in a way where we've been able to sit down and really break bread. So no, this is our first uh, real, uh, real conversation. <laughs> real conversation so yeah. it's been nice to get to know you. Yeah, you too. Um, and I, I look forward to reading all your other stories. It's, it's always nice when we get these reporters that, and I'm not sure how the little acorn has been able to do this, but when I started to learn more and more about you, I went, man, we are lucky to have this guy. So well, that's nice of you to say. Yeah. Thanks. So I, I, I appreciate your work and I look forward. I hope uh, our readers understand what we have in you. So um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us and, and for all your hard work. Thank you.